Anthony for three. Bang! Curry way downtown. Bang! Seconds. Bryant for the win. Bulls trying to get open. Fires away. Bang! It's over. Doncic pulls up three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good. Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Welcome to the Knockdown J NBA podcast where we talk about everything across the league. I am your host Jalen Dixon and today we got to talk about some of the biggest NBA headliners going into NBA training camp. Training camp is right around the corner and a lot has happened over the last two weeks. I've been focusing a lot more so on the low-key teams over the last couple of episodes if you've been tuned in but today we got to talk about some of the topics that are going to have a lot more upfront influence on the starting point of the NBA season. To discuss this, I want to talk with my friend Marcus, host of the Goat Talk podcast. Marcus, first off, welcome to the show. Second off, how you doing, man? Um, appreciate the invite. I'm I'm doing good. Um, I love talking hoops. Let's let's jump right into it, man. Yeah, man. So of course I'll plug a lot of uh, Marcus's stuff in terms of his content a little bit later on in the show. But like Marcus said, we're gonna get right into it in terms of talking some of these basketball topics. The first one we're gonna talk about is one that's a little bit on the older side, but one that I think is still gonna be really influential. It already is kind of shown in some of the Vegas uh Vegas standings is the recommitment of one Kevin Durant to the Brooklyn Nets. So. Marcus, I'm going to start with this. Before we actually start talking about the the makeup of the team, what was your initial reaction to this basically agreement, so to speak, I guess is the way they phrased it, between Kevin Durant and the front office of the Brooklyn Nets in terms of him deciding that he is open to sticking around? I mean, I think it makes sense in the, in the end when you look at what Minnesota um, – you look at what Minnesota gave up to get Rudy Gobert. There was, there, there's just not a trade market for Kevin Durant at this point. Um, and, and something had to give Kevin Durant coming back. I don't think is the worst decision in the world. Um, whether or not he wanted, want, wants that, whether or not he truly wants it or not. I mean, we, we, we don't know. Maybe we'll find that out in like a book or, or, or an off the cuff <laughs> interview in a couple years. But um, I mean, Kevin Durant is still in Brooklyn. There's some stability there. Kyrie's looking to, you know, Kyrie's committed to playing in Brooklyn. We'll, we'll see what happens with Ben Simmons. Uh, roster's good. I mean, I, I don't know much. I, I'm I'm so sick of talking about Kevin Durant. I'll be honest. Not not, and it's not it's it's not because it's not important. But I just mm-hmm. we spent a couple months ago. You turn on first take. You turn on first things first. You turn on Fox Sports, whatever it is, and, and people oh, are yeah. slandering Kevin Durant and calling him all this stuff. And then you turn on first take. You turn on all these shows today, and they're like, oh, well, if, if healthy, the Nets win the championship. Yeah, like right. Pick a side. Either yeah. you don't think Kevin Durant can win a championship in Brooklyn or you do think Kevin Durant can win a championship in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Either way, talking out both sides of your mouth isn't – like it's not going to do you anything. It's just stupid. It's confusing. It's idiotic. It's moronic. Um, I, I, I Kevin Durant is and has been since he, since, since he won MVP all those years ago in OKC, has been – one of very few players in the league that you can put on a team, they'd be championship contenders. We all know this. We all recognize this. So uh-huh. to act like to 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 then go from that to slandering Kevin Durant and making it seem like he's a quitter and all this other stuff and he's flaky just doesn't make any sense to me. 
I don't know, maybe it's because I have an undying loyalty to Kevin Durant. Maybe it's because I'm, I, I'm truly a Kevin Durant <laughs> fan and I appreciate what he does for the game of basketball. I don't know. But mm-hmm. to answer the question, Kevin Durant staying in Brooklyn, I don't know if that's more so because that's what he wanted or that's because there's just no trade market for Kevin Durant because of the steep uh, cost of Rudy Gobert for Rudy Gobert leaving Utah in the trade to go to Minnesota. But, yeah. Yeah, I think you make a lot of great points. I want to start off with the one that you said about the idea of the media being on both sides. I think that's actually one of the big reasons why I wanted to start with this with this question in terms of talking about your initial reactions to them is because I think a lot of people's reactions to these significantly changed from where they initially stood on the point when this first all came about as opposed to now. I've definitely heard a lot of the same flip-flopping in terms of a lot of people viewing it as him needing to do this or him looking to do this for a specific reason in terms of being able to be in a better championship contending contending situation, especially when the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat came up. Some believe that that would be a much better opportunity for him in terms of being able to win championships moving forward. And my belief is that I don't think that there was any other opportunity for that. Um, we actually talked about this on a recording that did not, uh, what did not go out because it was unfortunately, uh, has some technical issues. But when we did have the conversation about it, one of the big things that you had noted was the idea that, like you said earlier, Kevin Durant is able to create a championship uh, championship level environment simply by plucking him off of one roster and putting him onto another. The minute he steps onto the court for any roster, it's championship contention eligible. So when you look at the makeup of the Brooklyn Nets, I think that I've always kind of stood on the hill from the minute that he put the request in was, I don't think this is going to end with you on a different team because I don't see a different team that's better than the one you're on right now. That kind of takes us to the next point that I wanted to get to, which is the Brooklyn Nets actually significantly shot up in terms of title favorite odds um, between the time prior to when he was uh, when he was uh, going through all of this in terms of the Brooklyn Nets uh, commitment. Uh, to him and vice versa and after the news broke prior to the news breaking the Brooklyn Nets were uh were put somewhere around the 11 to 12 line um by Action Network and um Vegas Insiders as title 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 favorites that put them somewhere around fourth or fifth amongst the Eastern Conference as of today, according to Action Network, they are third at plus 750 behind only the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. So the, I guess it's a two-part question in sense of that. The first one is your reaction to the shoot-up. Obviously, you've already made it clear that you believe they're contenders off-rip with Kevin Durant. But what is it about this Brooklyn Nets team, aside from Kevin Durant, that you think makes him legitimate title contenders to the point that they are favored literally right behind the two teams we just saw in the finals last season. They're not legitimate title contenders, <clears throat> which is the problem with the Brooklyn Nets. Like I, look, first of all, first of all, before we get into that, can we can we can we as as human beings like and as people that, you know, that that watch back like okay, you and I have podcasts, right? So mm-hmm. like in a way we are an extension of the media and extension of the press. But but can we Jeez, angry there. Can, can we be honest here with ourselves for a second? Like, people, for some reason, keep acting like Kevin Durant was nothing before he joined Golden State. Ke- Kevin Durant led the league in scoring in four years before he joined mm-hmm. Golden State. Four separate occasions. One in a, a regular season MVP was rookie of the year. Like, we're talking about a guy who is who's projected right now going into next season per 36 minutes to average 28 points on roughly 50, 40, 90 shooting. Well, let's be serious about who we're talking about when we're talking about Kevin Durant. That's number one. Number two, when you look at when, when we're talking about 
uh, whether or not the Brooklyn Nets are title contenders. I think when healthy, when everyone's available, they're title contenders because you'd be a moron not to, right? When you have mm. a team that has Kevin Durant, when you have a team that has Kyrie Irving, that's automatically two of the greatest players that have ever stepped foot on a basketball court offensively together mm. on one team. They have to be considered title contenders. Uh, title contenders. Now, the part that puts them over the edge is they have the bench, right? You have your Seth Curry's and, and you have Joe Harris who didn't play much at all last season because mm-hmm. of injury, right? You have Ben Simmons who completely checked out for some for, for some godforsaken reason that he'll probably give us in one of these interviews because he's always got an excuse for why he's checked out. The fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, this team, of course, when everyone's healthy, when everyone's available, is a title contending team. Here's the problem. Ben Simmons hasn't played basketball in a year. That's Mm -hmm. number one. That's a problem. Joe Harris, who is their best three-point shooter, is coming off of an injury. We're going to have to see Mm -hmm. what Joe Harris looks like, right? The bench, I love Cam Thomas. I think Cam Thomas is great. The bench is fantastic as far as they they do what it is that they need to do, right? Mm -hmm. Is Kyrie Irving going to play all the games that he's supposed to be playing this season? That is also a question. So when I look at it from a talent standpoint, I say this. Okay, this is a team that, when you look at the talent, can definitely contend in the Eastern Conference, can make it out of the Eastern Conference, and could potentially give some troubles to any team that comes out of the West, whether it's Denver, whether it's Dallas, whether it's either LA team, whether it's the, the champions we just saw, the Golden State Warriors, they can do that. The question has never been for the Nets about talent. The question for the Nets mm. has been about ba- availability, whether it's injury or whether it is, in the case of Kyrie Irving, just not showing up. Mm. Those have been the questions running the Brooklyn Nets. We all know the Brooklyn Nets are talented. So like I said earlier, to act like Kevin Rand is being flaky when we're talking about a man who is the oldest player in the NBA to not have had a girlfriend or anything since he's been in the league. He don't do anything but play basketball and he wants to play basketball. He doesn't have, of course he has outside business ventures, but his main focus is the game of basketball for the love of basketball and for winning championships. Why would you blame that guy after we sat all the last season slandering Kyrie Irving for not being there because of COVID, slandering Ben Simmons for not showing up after he got traded, right? Acknowledging the fact that Joe Harris is hurt, acknowledging the fact that James Harden took his ball and went to Philly after because he wasn't satisfied or whatever the case may be. We acknowledge all of these things, but then in the same breath, we look at Kevin Durant and we say, you're being flaky. That, that, that is an unsafe work environment, if we're being honest. That is not an <laughs> optimal work environment for winning a championship. Why would mm-hmm. you, if you, like, none of us nine to five guys would stay in a work environment that is not optimal for our growth, our development, or our mental health, or whatever the, whatever you want to throw out there. Why Why would we, why should we expect Kevin Durant to subject himself to what, he, what maybe he thought was an unsafe work environment as it pertained to him competing for a championship? We all acknowledge how talented this team is, but there's questions about availability and there's questions about health. Like, mm-hmm. life happens, and I get it. So, yes, they're title contenders. Are they legitimate title contenders? We'll have to see when we step when they step foot on a basketball court because KD and Kyrie haven't even played a season's worth of games together in three years. So, like, right. that's a thing in and of itself, and there's been a lot of turnover. So, the long and short of your, the long and short answer of your question is. They should be title contenders, but we really don't know until we see them play basketball. If they are what we expect them to be, the Brooklyn Nets can and probably will win an NBA championship over the next four years, which is what we've all been saying from the moment KD got there in 2019. So I don't understand why we keep going back and forth on this topic. The Nets are title contenders. Let's let's agree on that and Mm -hmm. let's move on. Yeah, those are the facts. No, I agree. I think the legitimate, the they are definitely title contenders on paper, and I think the response is just in terms of them being at plus seven fifty, being third. I think that's legitimate. I think you, of course, the two favorites outside of that are the two teams we just saw. Like you said, the ability to display that they are within that title contention 
layer is definitely a fair game. I also think that you make a really good point when you talk about the injury aspect of them because Kevin Durant is not safe from that either over the last two seasons. That has been something that has also plagued him. Kyrie Irving, yes, this past season was more so plagued by the idea of things that had nothing to do with on-the-court play, but Kyrie Irving is no, you know, no safe guy when it comes to being injury-prone either. You talked about Joe Harris already, but also Seth Curry is coming off of ankle surgery as well, right? So when you go down the list of guys that they have, when you talk about key contributing factors, there are a lot of guys that you still have to kind of wonder about. And you made an even better point about the idea of like the amount of time that we've actually even seen these guys coexist on the floor. I think that's one of the biggest things where the Brooklyn Nets continue to be this in theory team, right? Even when you talk about the depth of their bench, Bringing in Royce O'Neal, uh, bringing in um, T.J. Warren on a pre-prove-it deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. These are all things that it sound good, right? It sounds good, but the idea is just to be able to see it on the floor. I'm completely with you on the front of trying to uh, let the Kevin Durant thing kind of die off until we kind of see the play on the floor. And um, I think it's going to be interesting to see where they head next. Um, that takes us to another team that is extremely interesting in this front, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Another team that the mainstream media loves to beat the drum on, but recently has made headways for trading for one Patrick Beverly from the Utah Jazz. Um, let's just start with this. I want to start with this. Do you think that this trade in any capacity makes them any better my thought process is no i don't i didn't see the needle move a lick you've got the viral clip of patrick beverly saying months ago if he's added to the lakers they would make the western conference finals which i thought is complete bs on top of that and there's also news that darvin ham has already spoken with patrick beverly and russell westbrook about the idea of playing them together in an opening lineup, all things that I think are not conducive to this team being any better than they were before. Taylor Horton Tucker was included in that trade. Somebody that apparently the Indiana Pacers were interested in as part of any Russell Westbrook trade, which makes that acquisition much more difficult. So it seems as though at least for the immediate future, this is going to be pretty stagnant unless somebody else comes off their pivot. So looking at the roster as is, is do you really think Patrick Beverly moves the needle for them any in terms of the type of things that he does contribute in terms of three-point shooting and defense? I'm not a fan of Patrick Beverly at all. Patrick Beverly is very annoying. But Patrick Beverly knows Facts. basketball. And he's right. He, he, he does move the needle. Um, when you look at it from does he a, really? When, when you look at it from a statistical standpoint, Patrick Beverly statistically would be their best three-point shooter. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at it from a defensive standpoint, statistically, Patrick Beverly would be their best on-ball defender. Um, those are the three things that the Los Angeles Lakers need. They need help with their shooting. They need help defensively. So, in a weird, ironic way, he does move the needle. Is it enough to get them in the Western Conference Finals? No. Um, oh, thank God. Of course not. I don't. I don't <laughs> that, that that is not just a Patrick Beverly thing. That is a health. The difference between the Los Angeles Lakers winning a championship and being sent home after the first round or not making the playoffs is Anthony Davis's health. 
Like, like we all know. Mm, let's it, talk about that, it. That, that, that is that is that that is what needs to happen because Anthony Davis, when he's healthy, when he's available, I think is a top five player in basketball. And when he's healthy, when he's available, is an MVP candidate and a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Like, like mm. those are the facts, right? LeBron James isn't slowing down anytime soon. There's not a mm. question of if he's going to pass Kareem. He's going to pass Kareem this season for the all time uh, for to become the all time leading scorer in NBA history, and he's going to pass it with. I'd say before the All-Star break, if we're being completely honest. I don't know. Mm, Maybe. Mm -hmm. But, like, this is a really good basketball team that has a problem with health. Patrick Beverly does move the needle because he he does do – like, whether you love him or you hate him, you have to acknowledge Patrick Beverly does uh, does fix slightly the two main things that the Lakers struggle with, which is perimeter defense and shooting. He himself is not a great shooter, and he himself is not a – a, a a transcendent defender to the point where it's going to alter the Lakers' success, where, like, without him, they're nothing, and with him, they're just going to be this great basketball team. So, mm. um, like I said, I don't like Pat Bev. I think Pat Bev is extremely annoying. I think he's highly overrated, but he is he is right. He does move the needle. Not He, he is not, though, the needle mover from, you know, Western Conference Finals to early playoff exit. That's Anthony Davis, but Pat Bev does – bring this team a little bit more as far as being more well-rounded is mm-hmm. yeah and i i mean <clears throat> i'm glad you kind of clarified that a little bit only because of the fact that i was a little nervous about the idea of this real belief in patrick beverly only because of the fact that i agree with you that i i believe that he's extremely overrated in terms of what he brings to a basketball team I don't think that there's anything about him moving forward that I think is going to actually really improve this Lakers roster when you look at the fact that they are still kind of struggling down the list to the point that they are thinking about calling back up Dennis Schroeder to add him to this roster as well. That should be even further sense of the desperation they still have to add talent to this roster. I still feel as though a lot of the guys that they have on the roster outside of LeBron James, AD, Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, if you look beyond it, a lot of the guys are either unproven or literally reclamation projects. Troy Brown Jr. falls into the category of a reclamation project. Uh, Lonnie Walker, same thing. Thomas Bryant, same thing. Juan Toscano Anderson is one of those guys who I think kind of was like a solid bench piece for Golden State, but quite literally did not play any minutes on their postseason run. So he's a guy that when it comes to playoff time, He's not going to be able to contribute, really, or at least you would assume, based off how Golden State utilized them, that he's not going to be able to contribute. Yet, there were actual discussions about the idea that there that the Lakers' best closing lineup might have to involve Juan Toscano Anderson at either the three or the four. That is not a good sign indi- uh, that is indicative of them being successful this upcoming season. I actually think that Patrick Beverly is obviously a an uptick from uh, Kendrick Nunn, I guess, is the person that they would have initially been starting next to Russell Westbrook Have they had to go with that. But I still think this team is flat. Like, they're mid, and they're still in a situation where from a roster construction standpoint, for two guys being your best players that we know, like you mentioned earlier, that struggle with injuries consistently, to know that they cannot sustain success if either one of those guys go down. And it, at least over the last two seasons, has been inevitable that those two miss some form of time. I don't know how this move, or even adding Dennis Schroeder on top of it, makes you any much more convinced that the Lakers are still 
even playoff contenders, let alone title contenders. I mean, so, as long as LeBron James is playing basketball, the team he's on is a playoff contender. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're not playoff contenders. I, I will acknowledge that their championship contention relies a lot more in those on the guys that wear the jersey that's not named LeBron James because as great as LeBron right. is, and though I do think that LeBron LeBron is the GOAT in my estimation, I don't know if LeBron can still do what he did in 17 and 18 and in 2007 right. and drag a really bad team through the through a uh, through the gauntlet of a conference and make it to the uh, to the finals, especially when you look at the teams in the West, right? You've got Dallas, you have Denver, you have Golden State, obviously, who who, who LeBron has obviously had his run-ins, of course, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Clippers. Like, I don't know, and I'm not saying LeBron can't do it. I, I, I'm not going to tell you LeBron can't do anything because every time we say LeBron can't do something, he just goes out there and he does it. And I'm a LeBron fan. Right. I don't think, it's not that I don't think LeBron can do it. It's just, I don't know if he can either. So we're just I'm, I'm just straddling defense on that topic. What I do also recognize and understand is this, right? Uh, um, Pat Bev last season shot 34 percent from three. Um, he only played in 30. He only played in he played in 58 games last season. That was his one and only season in Minnesota. You look back to his time though um, in LA in those four seasons he was with the Clippers. He was he shot about 40 percent from three. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in his five years in Houston, he shot thirty seven percent from three. So he is a good three point shooter, regardless of how annoying he is defensively on the ball, off the ball, with the things he says and how arrogant he is. He he is a good shooter. Um, doesn't get a lot of looks because that's not really what he's there for. He's there more so for it to, you know to be a pest. But um, when you look at the numbers, twice in Patrick Beverly's career, he shot forty percent from three. Three twice from in Patrick Beverly's career, he shot thirty nine. Point seven percent from three. He also has two seasons when he shot thirty eight point eight percent and thirty eight point two percent from three. So, um, and that's because of sheer volume, right? His volume went down last season, partially because he didn't play all the games, but also because when you look at that roster they had in Minnesota, specifically when you're talking about Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell, Patrick Beverly don't need to be shooting anything really. Um, that that wasn't what his role was. Uh, mm-hmm. I would like to think that maybe we could see not design plays for Patrick Beverly, but there may be more opportunity for Patrick Beverly to put those shots up. And we know that given what his um, looking at his stats from for you know his entire career, but also the splits for his career, he's shooting he's a thirty eight percent free th- three point shooter. So mm-hmm. when the opportunity presents itself, Patrick Beverly can hit the shots, and that's what that that is a part that is one part of what the Lakers need, which is reliable shooting. And again, the other part is the defense. And we all know that the tenacity and the annoyance and the pest that, that Patrick Beverly is on defense. Um, you know, everyone says you hate playing against Patrick Beverly, but you love playing with him. And Pat Bev has had run-ins, not just with Russ. He's had run-ins with LeBron. Yeah. He, he's had run-ins with AD. Like he's had run-ins with everybody that's on the team, but now he's, uh-huh. he's, he's on, he's wearing the purple and gold. And that's kind of what it's going to be. I, I do it's possible that this could be the beginning of maybe a potential Russell Westbrook move to somewhere else, maybe not uh-huh. to Indiana, unless they can rope in another team to kind of get that ball rolling. But um, if this is the roster by itself, the, the Lakers win healthy, if healthy, can still make the playoffs. I, I, I'm never go- I will never say that the Lakers won't make the playoffs as long as LeBron James is wearing the uniform because the only two times they've missed the playoffs was this season – and his first season and both seasons, it was because of LeBron James and last season AD was dealing with injury, right? But even in his first season, the, the Los Angeles Lakers were the fourth seed in the in the, in the the Western Conference. He pulled his groin around Christmas, missed 18 straight games. That was his first major injury in his career. They go from uh-huh. being the fourth seed in the West to being like the ninth seed in the West. There's no play-in back then, so that was 
too much. They, by the time LeBron came back, there just was no way that he was going to be able to uh, get them back into the playoffs. So they just kind of kept them out, I guess, for the rest of the season. But yeah, I, I'll never say that the Lakers can't make the playoffs as long as LeBron James is playing. The only way they they don't is if an act of God occurs. And unfortunately for them, last season an act of God occurred and and an injury just plagued the team. Yeah, I think you make really solid points in terms of the defense of their actual roster makeup from the sense that as long as you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it's very easy to be a believer. I think that's one of those things that I've actually tried to stray away from this belief, especially because I feel as though this team has put so much onus on those two in in order for them to be successful. It literally seems as though, if you remember, the entire reason why they traded for Russell Westbrook was the framework around it, or at least the storylines around it, was acquiring a guy like Russell Westbrook, who did play a majority of the games. I think he only missed maybe uh, a max of like two or three that entire season last year. I think he played like 79. Um, With that being the case, him being brought in was supposed to be able to help them sustain success when guys like LeBron James or Anthony Davis went down. I was just about to say. Yeah, and Rob Palenka's a bozo for putting that through because whenever we ever seen... Yeah, and I was going to say that's actually that construction is actually kind of ill placed because I think that's going out off of like one real season where Russell Westbrook was extremely successful on a team that was generally made for him. And you have to also factor that in. It was generally built around him. Does he uh, does he uplift mediocre talent? Yes, I would say that he definitely has the skill set to be able to uplift mediocre talent in terms of being able to will will teams to wins but there's still the caveat that the team has to in a sense be tailored to his skill set in order for him to be able to do that and as you mentioned a second ago about the fit this team last year was not geared towards that in that sense and therefore was not successful I also believe that this season that is no different which gives me kind of cause to pause I think when you go down the when you go down the list of Western Conference uh, teams and you kind of did it briefly anyway I mean I mean, look. I mean, we can kind of just do it now as an exercise before we transfer over to our ne- uh, our next topic, which is simply: Are the Lakers better than Phoenix? No. Are the Le- Are the Lakers better than Memphis? I don't think so. Golden State? Not sure. Uh, I, but I think Golden State's better. Dallas? I think is actually a question. But I think if your belief in Luka Doncic is what a lot of people have going into next season, again believing that he should be an MVP frontrunner then that is something worth taking into consideration with them. Utah, we know it's falling out. I think Denver is extremely better than them. Minnesota is better. New Orleans, L.A. Uh, I mean, that puts them in a position where they're going to be around eighth, ninth seed again, and it only takes one day. It only takes one game. So positionally speaking, yes, we're still doing a lot of this stuff based off on paper, but when you look at them in terms of where they stand, amongst the other teams contending in the Western Conference, they're still penciled in at about eighth or ninth. And unfortunately, when you look at the roster depth of it, at the end of the day, like you said beforehand, you can live and die on the hill of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But from a roster construction standpoint, you kind of mentioned the bozo-ness of Rob Palenka. I think it's kind of sick when you have like, national media people questioning whether or not the Lakers roster is any much more talented than like Sacramento's from a depth standpoint. Yeah, well, I think that just goes to tell full you. Of bozos and morons as well. Cause that's a moronic thing to say. No one in their right mind thinks that the Lakers aren't 
more talented than the Sacramento Kings. That's well, okay. So, Marcus, let me ask you this though, because I'm not, I'm actually not pushing for that narrative either, because I think that there's certain there, I think there's certain validity to that, and I think there's certain stuff where it's a little hyperbolic. I would say that. Do you think beyond when you look at the depth of this team, beyond just Anthony Davis and LeBron James, do you genuinely believe that this team? is any much more talented than what Sacramento has beyond the first two guys. Yes, because this is a team that can make the playoffs. Sacramento does not have a Sacramento is not a playoff caliber basketball team. But who but so so who who on the Lakers outside of those two instills you with that belief? I still think Russell Westbrook is a talented basketball player. I I I I don't know what Carmelo's doing, but if he's still on the roster, which I know he's a free agent right now, if he comes back, there, there's there there is there is a stretch of the season where Carmelo Anthony was the best player on the team. He, he was just consistently right, yeah. clutch, and he was a, he, he was doing everything that he needed to do. Right, so I, I'm not going to I'll be like I'll be honest with you, I don't really know the, the Lakers' entire roster, and that, and that's a shame on me for not being fully prepared. I'll, I'll take that, but I am not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and disrespect the Los Angeles Lakers by saying that they're not more talented than the Sacramento Kings because this is still a team, regardless of whether it fits or not, this is still a team that can make the playoffs. The Sacramento mm. Kings are are nowhere near sniffing the playoffs this season. Like it's 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 just that that, that that's a really moronic thing to say in my estimation to 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 compare the Lakers to the Sacramento Kings. Now, if you want to mm. sit here and okay. say that are the Lakers that much more talented than the Pelicans? Or if you want to say, are the Lakers that much more talented like the Mavericks or, or, or one of those teams that are kind of in the, in the mix, I'll give you that because I do think the Pelicans are, are they, they have talent, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of good talent. I think the Pelicans are top heavy and I, I, I'm not, a am not a big fan of them paying Zion all the money that they paid, but, but I mean, I guess that's why I don't make these decisions. Um, mm-hmm. it's the same thing for the, for the Mavericks, right? Once you get past Luka Doncic and, uh, and Christian Wood, I think you can make the argument there that maybe the 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 Dallas Mavericks are a bit more talented on their bench relative to the Lakers. That I'll give you, but the Kings, no. I and hmm. and a part of that is because I'll be honest with you, once you get past De'Aaron Fox, Demontis Sabonis. I mean that list got longer this offseason. Malik Monk. They brought in Kevin Herter. They still have. Um, Harrison Barnes on that team. They brought in Keegan Murray via the draft. When you talk about the Lakers, I mean, you said that you didn't know their roster coming up moving forward. This upcoming season, Lonnie Walker the fourth, indicative of that. Tom Thomas Bryant, who was who didn't play for majority of last season. Kendrick Nunn, Winyan Gabriel, Winyan Gabriel actually played significant minutes for them just because they needed more forward depth. Uh, Austin Reeves is somebody who's going to end up starting at the three for them as currently constructed. Like when they start going down the list of guys that are actually supposed to contribute for this team, I don't know if from a talent perspective, you can kind of keep that up. Now, again, I'm actually like quietly a Sacramento Kings believer. If you've seen the TikToks, I've kind of showed a little bit of enthusiasm regarding this team. And I've never said that they are a playoff team, but I said that this is actually their best constructed roster in years in terms of the way that it is designed. I think that when you look at the fact that they have Rashawn Holmes coming off the bench, they have guys like Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes already on the team. They bring in guys like Matthew Dellavedova for defense and three-point shooting purposes. They already acquired guys like Malik Monk and Kevin Herter earlier in the offseason. From a talent perspective, 
they are there. For example, you mentioned Carmelo Anthony as part of this Lakers team. As far as we're concerned, Carmelo Anthony is still a free agent. He is a guy that I think would be a great fit back on the Lakers team because I think he starts tomorrow on this team with the fact that they, they they clearly need the talent influx. I think that the fact that they, like I said, are going back to lost causes, so to speak, and Dennis Schroeder, who I don't think is a lost cause from a talent perspective, but a guy that he's a clearly... Cause. He's a lost cause. Well, he's okay, then that's... That, okay, well, if that's what you believe, then that's even further indicative of the fact that I think they are so in the hole from a talent perspective beyond LeBron James and Anthony Davis that... They are so desperate that, again, they are willing to even entertain the idea of bringing a guy like Dennis Schroeder back to fill up the point guard position. They trade for a guy in Patrick Beverly, who, again, I think is a nice 3 and D guy, but I don't think he moves the needle too much in terms of his overall productivity because if like I don't think he's a guy that from an offensive standpoint you can ask to be assertive enough that if AD or LeBron go down for a significant period of time or even a short period of time that you can ask a guy like that to steer the ship. I think when you look at the depth of Sacramento, you can say that from their roster construction, they go at least nine to 10 deep based on what they did this offseason. I can't say that about the Lakers confidently. So I think from a talent perspective, I actually think that that is actually a debate. Now that's more, I think that's actually more, should put more onus on a guy like Rob Palenka, who's part of the reason why this roster constructed this way. But the way I've been framing it is, the Lakers have turned into the island of misfit toys beyond LeBron James and Anthony Davis when you look at a lot of these guys that are on this team. Because there's a lot of guys that are filling roles simply for the fact that they are affordable, but they are not guys that necessarily actually indicate any kind of structure for the way this team is going to play next season. And it doesn't really give much more enthusiasm beyond the two main guys, which is what a lot of Lakers fans have been leaning on the heels of, leaning on the coattails of, for the last two seasons, and that has that has and has not worked. So I feel as though with this being, I mean, this I mean, when you look at the roster, this team did not make the playoffs last season, and this roster is worse from a construction standpoint. So I'm not, I'm personally not saying I don't think that I want to go on the limb of saying the Sacramento Kings are just definitively better than the Lakers, but I think the idea that there is actually a discussion that could be made between the talent level between these two teams is a real thing. But I also think that's not great. If you're a Lakers enthusiast, I mean, I'm not a Lakers enthusiast. I'm a LeBron James enthusiast. Um, I have no, I have no, I have no loyalty to the Los Angeles Lakers outside of LeBron James. So, so maybe that's why I can kind of say these things with, 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 uh, and be very, be very short with it and, 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 and quick and just kind of throw it out there. I, there's just not a scenario in my mind, and I get it, right? They, the the Kings have a lot of young talent, right? But mm. the Kings also have struggled to develop young talent. So, so mm. we'll we'll have to see how that all works out for them in a couple of years. But I, I, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to say that it's not. You can have the discussion. The people can have the discussion. I am not going to say that the Kings are more talented than the Los Angeles Lakers because to me that would imply that the Kings have a better shot of making the playoffs than the Los Angeles Lakers. And I don't Okay. Think I think that and see I think if that's your ideology around it, I think that makes a lot more sense because I think at the end of the day the two big guys at the top for the Lakers are much more 
translatable in terms of the idea of what is going to get us to the postseason than De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. I agree with that wholeheartedly in terms of we're just talking about the top heavy, who's going to be able to get to the playoffs based off extend, extended talent, of course, because I think that LeBron James and Anthony Davis, when healthy, are significantly better than the combination of De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis by a long shot, despite the fact that I actually think their pairing is a lot better on the court than a lot may may believe um i only i only am pushing this for the sake that i actually think that it is a conversation uh but at the same time i think that your ideology makes a lot more sense it makes a lot of sense when you talk about the idea of what's going to project to postseason play i of course much rather put my eggs in the basket of lebron james and anthony davis than sacramento i just actually have a lot more faith in the roster construction of sacramento than the lakers and i think that's what makes it an an interesting question along with the fact that they brought in mike brown for defensive chops which i think is something too defensive coordinators in the nba is obviously like a interesting topic because it's like how influential is it but the last season that the last season mike brown was a defensive coordinator for the golden state warriors and they were the second best offense i mean they were second best defensive scoring team in the league in terms of opponents uh, points per game as well as defensive rating that is something that i think is based off personnel so that there's going to be questions as to how that translates for sacramento but i think bringing a competent coach that's keyword is competent because we're coming off of Luke Walton. If you're a Sacramento Kings fan, you're already kind of like folding into your hands a little bit. Just for you hearing the man's name, they're having competent coaching and legitimate and a legitimate pathway from a roster construction standpoint just makes them interesting. But this isn't about the Sacramento Kings. I, I don't want to make this all about that. Cause I've talked about them pretty decently over the last couple of uh, episodes. Let's transfer over to the real meat and potatoes of this episode, which is stuff that has happened a lot more recently, and it has a lot of potential weight behind it. So the first thing we're going to start with is the extension of R.J. Barrett with the New York Knicks. He was given a four-year, $120 million deal that takes him up into 2027. There are incentives in there as well that could uh, could potentially make him, could help him achieve the full 120. To me, this was a pretty respectable deal that is actually, I think it actually mirrors the deal that they gave Julius Randle a few seasons ago. I think that R.J. Barrett has a lot of potential upside, but with the framework of how some events went, and we'll get to the Donovan Mitchell stuff a little bit later on, but it seemed as though the Knicks chose R.J. Barrett over donovan mitchell at least in terms of when you see the how all of the events uh crescendoed so obviously we're not going to talk about from a talent standpoint what was the better idea rj bear or donovan mitchell because i think that that's just a mook point but if you are a new york knicks fan right marcus i want to ask you from this perspective where should your belief in rj barrett moving forward lie is this a guy that this deal is more so about okay this is a guy we want to build around this is the first dude the new york knicks have ever re-signed since 1999 we genuinely want to build with him or if you're a knicks fan you're viewing this from a financial flexibility standpoint of okay rj barrett is a solid young talent that is now under contract with a solidly movable contract to be used for a future deal. How, how are you looking at this? Should the Knicks be focused with this deal being signed? Should the Knicks go all in on development? Or do you think this is just another small move towards being able to acquire a superstar? 
Knicks don't know how to acquire a superstar. Like that's just what happens. Like this is this is yet another version of Plan B, right? Twenty nineteen, they wanted Katie and Kyrie. Who they get? They got Julius Randle. Okay, All right. This year they wanted Donovan Mitchell. Who they get? They got Jalen Brunson and they extended R.J. Barrett for four more years. This is not. There is no. So you're, you're trying to see. Look, I respect it. Okay, you're, you're trying to give your your, your 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 listeners here that might be Knicks fans trying to give them some hope. I'm not going to do that. I have no hope <laughs> for the Knicks fans. There is no hope for the New York Knicks. No, the New York fair. Knicks are going to suck. They're not good. They, they, mm. the, the New York Knicks are allergic to superstars. RJ Barrett is 22 years old, right? So there's room for improvement, and I get it. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that RJ Barrett's a bad player. But unless RJ mm. Barrett stops using his left hand all the time and learns to become a little bit more ambidextric, RJ Barrett's going to stink. And he's going to stink bad because it's going to start getting to a point where everyone's going to know that he's going to go left, right? That's the problem. Excuse me. That's the problem with Julius Randle. Julius Randle had one good season where he won most improved player. He was going left mm. all the time. Kind of took the league by storm a little bit. No one really saw it coming. They get bounced out of the first round by Trey by Trey Young in the Atlanta in the Atlanta not the, not, not the Falcons. I don't know why I was about to say the Falcons. In the Atlanta Hawks, <laughs> right? You fast forward to last season. What's happened? The Knicks fans aren't 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 um aren't appreciating Julius Randle's lack of consistent production based on what they saw from the season before. And now Julius Randle's taking pull-up jump shots from mid-range and taking pull-up contested threes. Like, that's his game, and it's not. So, uh-huh. R.J. Barrett is a... R.J. Barrett's ceiling from a talent standpoint is, of course, much higher than Julius Randle's. One, because he's younger, but two, because he's better at the game of basketball on right now. But in a couple years... This could what happened to Julius Randle can very well happen to RJ Barrett if RJ Barrett doesn't learn how to use his right hand. He doesn't use the right hand at all. He's left-handed. He is solely left-handed. So until he becomes more ambidextrous, this New York Knicks team isn't going anywhere. And even if he does become ambidextrous, this New York Knicks team is going nowhere. Why? Because the New York Knicks can't conduct business the right way. Instead of waiting and just staying away until after the season, the New York Knicks and their front office actually pulled up to a to a to a playoff game when the Dallas Mavericks were playing the Utah Jazz in Utah. That's why see that is why the 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 Dallas Mavericks filed tampering charges. It's not because it's Jalen Brunson he has the ties. It's cuz the New York Knicks front office and and the brass and the decision makers pulled up to a game in Utah where Jalen Brunson who at the time was playing for the Dallas Mavericks was playing. You want us to think that they didn't meet with, with, with Jalen Brunson while they were in Utah to talk about a contract? Really? You want to think that? Look, I, I get it. Uh, uh, J- uh, Jalen Brunson has family ties to the New York Knicks, and that's what everyone is saying. Oh, there's no tampering charges. But when the team pulls up to a playoff game where the player is playing in, you have to think that there might be some tampering involved there. Who else was playing in that Dallas Mavericks versus Utah Jazz game? Oh, Donovan Mitchell. And where is Donovan Mitchell right now? He's in Cleveland. Why? Because Danny Ainge is smart. Danny Ainge recognizes that he could have got a lot much, he could have got a lot more somewhere else, and that's what he got. And I know we get from that in a second. R.J. Barrett getting paid two hundred twenty. What is it? What, what was it? I don't even know what the deal was. Because right four right years, one twenty. I don't care. Four years, one hundred twenty million dollars. Good for R.J. Nice that he's got that money. It's going to be four more years of mediocrity for the New York Knicks. They have been good since the seventies when they had when they had Willis Reed and all those boys running up and down the court. They haven't been good in a very long time. It's it, and it's going to be another fifty years before the New York Knicks are ever good again or ever relevant again. R.J. Barrett is not a player that you are going to drive 
you're you're not going to Madison Square Garden to go see R.J. Barrett. You go to MSG to see LeBron when the Lakers come to town. You go to see KD and Kyrie when the Nets come to town. It's not really to town because it's right down the street. You go whether when Steph Curry <laughs> comes to town. Uh, uh, you 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 go you go to MSG to see Giannis when Giannis comes to town. You want to go see Luca. You go to see Ja. You go to see Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. which unfortunately you won't be able to see him just on the other 41 games. You only get to see Donovan Mitchell twice this season instead of 41 because the Knicks are incompetent. The New York Knicks front office is the epitome of incompetent it's the epitome of idiocracy and look i i I appreciate the invite but this is the the this is my least favorite part of the show because i'm generally a nice guy and i've done nothing but crap (laughs) on the new york knicks but they deserve it the knicks stink they can't make any good decisions whatsoever they are terrible and and knicks fans all you knick fans that thought that donovan mitchell was going to be a new york knick come come october 19th you're stupid and you're morons because you should know better you should know better. What's the definition of insanity? It's seeing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Every year we hear this. Some superstars are like, oh, it was Ka- first it was Kawhi before he went to Toronto, right? And then it was Kawhi after he left Toronto. Then it's KD and Kyrie. A couple, oh, so many moons ago, the Knicks thought they were going to get LeBron James when he left Cleveland the first time. They thought we'd get LeBron James when he left Miami. Let's be serious here. The New York Knicks are dumb. They can't make good decisions. No superstar wants to play for the New York Knicks, specifically James Dolan, because he's a bum and he's terrible at his job and he should be fired he should fire himself the league should fire him something needs to happen because james dolan is terrible he is more invested in everything not related to the new york knicks than he is related to the new york knicks the new york knicks are never going to sign a superstar ever they had christos porzingis and sent him on his merry way this is ridiculous the new york knicks are absolutely ridiculous they're an embarrassment they're a dumpster organization Congrats to R.J. Barrett on four years for $120 million because I think he's a good player that if he learns to be ambidextrous can turn into one of the better players in this league because he's young and he's got the time. By the time this contract is up, he'll be 26, which should put him right in his prime if he continues to develop. But the New York Knicks are going to be garbage. They were 37-45 and last season. They're going to win 30 games this year. The New York Knicks suck. Absolutely suck. And Knicks fans should be ashamed of themselves for actually thinking that Donovan Mitchell, a 25-year-old, 25-point-per-game, all-star caliber player, was going to was gonna grace you guys with his presence for 82 games for the next however many years and waste his career, waste valuable years of his career and his prime in Madison Square Garden working for James Dolan and the New York Knicks. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourselves. The Knicks suck. This wasn't plan A. This wasn't plan B. This was plan Z. This was no one wants to play for us, so let's do what every other team in the NBA does. Let's just extend a guy that's on our roster. Congrats to you for finally extending a player that's actually on your roster that you actually drafted. Here's a hint. You wanted Donovan Mitchell? You should have drafted him in the draft all those years ago instead of drafting Frank Nilekina if you really wanted Donovan Mitchell. But no, you passed on Donovan Mitchell, and now Donovan Mitchell's not there, and this is exactly what you get. I'm done. I am done talking about the New York Knicks today. I'm sick of it. I'm, I, I, I am sick of the New York Knicks. Sick of them. Just, just absolutely sick of them. Marcus, I got to keep it a buck with you, bro. I'm glad that you were the one to rip the Band-Aid off because I actually thought that it was going to have to be me because not that I thought not that I thought you were like some New York Knicks optimist or anything, but I thought that this was going to come more so from the perspective of just simply the like what you mentioned on the back nine of it, which is the fact that this was definitely definitely not plan A. 
and definitely was not plan B. And from the perspective of it just being viewed as just another Knicks blunder. But I think you detailed it in a way that I think is really important in the sense that this is a team that has no real upward trajectory. And I've seen a lot of uh, writing about this over the last 24 hours in terms of the idea of what's next for the Knicks, right? That's, of course, been the question moving forward because the way that they've positioned themselves with acquiring draft picks, putting themselves in position with certain young talent that they've acquired over the last couple of drafts, they have set themselves up to not necessarily, they don't have the financial flexibility to be able to outright sign a superstar, but they have positioned themselves to be able to trade for a disgruntled superstar. But it seems as though their first real crack at it with this kind of asset management, which I would argue is has been solid, being able to acquire solid assets like Quentin Grimes, like Obi Toppin, being able to acquire some of those draft picks this past offseason in the draft from Detroit. I think those are all solid like lateral moves in terms of being able to do like little quiet things in order to acquire assets. But their first real crack at it was a guy who we knew was clearly on the trade block. And we knew was a guy who was going to be on the move. And the question was where for weeks now, for weeks now, you were the front running candidate for him in terms of everybody defining defining them as having the best trade package over teams like Miami, over teams like Washington. Cleveland was not even brought up initially, and when they were brought up, I think that the reports were that Darius Garland, Jerry Allen, and Evan Mobley were all considered untouchables in the exchange, which basically to many people viewed that as okay, they're not trading for Donovan because the three guys that they would potentially want if you're Utah are all untouchable assets. All for that to culminate into you still, still being the front runner, still not being able to acquire this guy, just goes to tell you how mediocre the franchise is to the point that they put all their eggs in one basket and now they're left holding the bag. And I think when you look at this upcoming season, let's talk about their actual roster construction in terms of their production on the floor. You said that they're probably going to win 30 games next year. And I think that's actually a funny point because I think you're right. <laughs> I think that you're right. When you talk about the depth of the Eastern Conference and you look at the play style of this team, they have no spacing. If we look at ESPN's uh, depth run, a depth chart for them right now, their starting lineup is Jalen Brunson, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. There's literally only one of those guys that I trust to be able to shoot at a high clip on a consistent basis from three, and that's Jalen Brunson. Evan Fournier is wishy-washy. R.J. Barrett is not a three-point shooter. Julius Randle had a flash-in-the-pan year, and we know Mitchell Robinson isn't that. They have almost $40 million hung up just this upcoming season in the center position between Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein. This team, this team doesn't make sense. Three of the guys in their starting lineup are all lefties that rely on using the left side of the floor in order to create offense. And now all three of them are going to have to operate on that side of the floor in order to be productive. That's not conducive to winning basketball. When you talk about the lack of spacing that that creates. So even if you just go beyond the Donovan Mitchell thing and you talk about, okay, so where do the Knicks go from here based on the roster they have? They really don't have any direction. They really don't have any pathway to success next season. Yeah, because they suck. They're not good. So you're trying to be nice about it. Stop. Let, let's call a spade a spade. The okay, Knicks are terrible. Let's do it. 
The Let's Knicks are terrible. They're not better than the Nets. They're not better than no. the Pistons. They're not better no. than the Hornets. They're not better than the Pacers. They're not better than the The Wizards are going to win more games than the New York Knicks next season. The Washington Wizards, a team that really just has Bradley Bill and Chris Porzingis and maybe Kyle Kuzma if he wants to show up and play basketball and not show up in really long sweaters that his grandma knit him all those years ago. And then they got oh, like my stretched. God. Super, duper, <laughs> super, 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 duper stretch. Boston, Milwaukee, Detroit. Cleveland, which I know we're going to talk about in a second. Washington, mm. Charlotte, Indiana, Brooklyn, Atlanta. That's nine teams. Who else is in the Eastern Conference that I can think of off the top of my head right now? Toronto. That's ten. There's I'm missing I'm missing five more teams. Well, yeah, you're missing a bunch of the contending the teams. Other, That's the funny who part. The other, Philadelphia, Miami. Yeah. Who are the other two teams in the Eastern Conference? Boston still. Right Boston, Boston, Milwaukee. I can't think. Damn it, the Orlando Magic might be better than the New York Knicks last season if we just beat. Let's be for real here. The New York Knicks suck. They absolutely stink. They can't shoot. They can't play on the right side of the court. Their bench is terrible. And no one comes to Madison Square Garden to see anybody on a New York Knicks uniform. You go to Madison Square Garden, people are more likely to go to to Madison Square Garden to to, to, to see Jabari Parker. I don't even know where Jabari Parker plays basketball right now. But they're more likely to go see Jabari Parker than see someone in a New York Knicks uniform. That's how bad the New York Knicks are. That's how bad you are as an organization. That I would rather go to the New York Knicks and go to the Madison Square Garden to go see someone on the opposing team than see someone that gets paid to play at home for 41 games a year. This is atrocious. This is atrocious financial management. This is atrocious roster management. This is atrocious player development. And like I said earlier, Nick fans are morons because every year y'all put yourselves in these positions and y'all Photoshop all these star players and all these Nick jerseys. You see, do it with LeBron and all these other players. The only, the only really good player that the Knicks have ever acquired in the last 50 years is Carmelo Anthony. And the only reason why Carmelo Anthony it was it was in a New York Knicks uniform was because instead of signing a 3-year extension like LeBron did to go to Miami, he signed a 4-year extension and he couldn't get out of Denver in time. That's the only reason why Carmelo Anthony was a New York Nick. If that's the case, you wouldn't have had a a star, all-star, all-pro, whatever you want to call it, caliber player since Pat Ewing. Can we be serious about the New York Knickerbockers, please? They suck. They're terrible. They're terrible. All right, folks, you guys clearly know Marcus's stance on this. And I think that it's a great point that he makes in terms of having to just like keep it a buck with y'all. So I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use my I'm going to use my fair judgment. I've been trying to be analytical this entire time because I feel as though we have to view this from both angles of not just the mediocrity that is New York on a continuous basis, but trying to view it through the lens of just simply on the basketball floor. What is this team going to look like? But if we're just being real, if we're just keeping it a full stack, like Marcus said, this team is not good. This team is not good. I think the fact that the Orlando Magic actually, from a roster construction standpoint, are more competent from a construct, like I said, from a construction standpoint. Actually, I mean, just in general, the fact that Orlando looks like they make more sense than you, and this is a team that quite literally blew it up not even two seasons ago, and their direction is already being forged in a much more understandable way, is very telling of your situation. I think the fact that Detroit already has two or three pillars, and 
on their team and Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, uh, Jalen Duran. You could argue that Sadiq Bey is also a part of that. Isaiah Stewart. They actually have an established core. The fact that the New York Knicks have been this bad for so long and have not found any true direction in order to establish some kind of core that they can at least rely on is telling. The fact that the Indiana Pacers who are so wishy-washy about truly committing to a rebuild that Miles Turner is still on this team, despite the fact that he has been in trade talks for the better half of three seasons now in a row, and they already committed to trading DeMontis Sabonis as a part of this, is telling. The fact that Marcus can say with a straight face that the Washington Wizards, who pigeonholed themselves by signing a five-year max extension to Bradley Beal that includes a no trade clause something that only like 11 or 12 players in NBA history have ever even been eligible for let alone actually granted the fact that that is a team that could potentially be considered if not is considered better from a talent and roster construction standpoint going into next season is indicative of how just how bad this actually is. So I hate to kind of beat the dead horse, especially considering the fact that Marcus kind I'll of like beat it. I'll really beat it. they Marcus, suck. He really the Knicks beat their own dead horse. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah, they they're in a situation right now where I think that the Knicks are really going to be in a bad position. Let's let's transfer over to the to to a more optimistic side of things, and this is actually our last topic for today. And I think that this is a better front to come from in terms of this Knicks situation is by focusing on the optimistic aspect of it from the Cleveland Cavaliers perspective which I think their Cleveland Cavaliers fans are a bit more optimistic about the way that this whole thing is gonna go so let's talk about the deal itself the Cleveland Cavaliers traded Utah Jazz Garden Dot Guard Utah Jazz Guard Donovan Mitchell according to Adrian Wojnarowski Three-time All-Star guard is going to Cleveland in exchange for a package centered around draft picks and young players. The Jazz have acquired Cleveland's unprotected first-round picks in 2025, 2027, and 2029, plus pick swaps in 2026 and 2028 per ESPN. Also going to Utah, as first reported by Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports, Oshag Baji, who was acquired with the number 14 pick this past draft, Colin Sexton, who is arriving through a sign-in trade because he originally was going to be put in a position to only accept the qualifying offer because they weren't looking to extend him, and Laurie Markkinen were sent in that trade. Colin Sexton, as a part of that sign-in trade, was uh, acquired via a new contract that was worth up to four years, $72 million. So not even $20 million a year. From this perspective, Donovan Mitchell, who turns 26 quite literally next week, is joining a Cavaliers core that is that includes 22-year-old Darius, Darius Garland and 24-year-old Jared Allen, who both made the All-Star team last season, as well as 21-year-old second-year center slash power forward Evan Mobley, who finished second in the Rookie of the Year race last year, only behind Scotty Barnes. This is easily a easily a win for the Cleveland Cavaliers this is something that I woke up to and was completely shocked by considering that only hours prior it seemed as though the New York Knicks were getting back into conversations with the Utah Jazz about this trade nonetheless this is the case 
Stop. No, no, I'm not trying to give. I'm not. We're we're transitioning off the Knicks. Stop. What I'm saying is, it was only hours prior that they were the front runners for this, and only hours later that the trade was completed with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and now they have a core that is on the back of four twenty-something-year-olds, all who have not really reached their prime yet. Three of them being all-star players. One of them being a second-year player who already has up all-star upside. So let's start with this. Marcus, from the now focusing on the Cleveland Cavaliers perspective, what were your initial thoughts for this trade from, from that side of the from the that side of the news? I think so. Here's the thing, right? Because we because we've seen the, the Eastern Conference has gotten better, right? Mm-hmm. C- c- significantly. It's significantly better over the last like just three years alone. When we're talking about the contenders in the East, right? Obviously you have to put the Milwaukee Bucks up there. Right, who we mm-hmm. I think who we can all acknowledge if well most people I don't I am of a firm mindset that Boston would have beaten Milwaukee even if they had Chris Middleton but most people but believe some that believe with Chris that, Middleton yeah. they they would have made it out and, and fully healthy Milwaukee there's no reason why you don't look at Milwaukee and say that they they could be a favorite to come out of the East again uh, th- this year after you correct know, not because of interest so you look at Milwaukee they're up there obviously you have to look at the reigning Eastern Conference champion Boston Celtics up there as course in the upper echelon. I, I think you can still put Philly in that discussion. I think um, what they were able to do with with, with 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 James Harden coming back for less money and then be able to kind of give them some flexibility to bring in more pieces, I think that's massive. I still think that Joel Embiid is the best center in basketball, which is huge for them. And I think when healthy, another situation where injury, we're talking about if Joel Embiid doesn't miss those first two games against Miami, I think we get Boston and Philly in the Eastern Finals instead of Miami. Talk about and it. Boston. And, and that could have been a game changer. So I do still think that Philly is in the upper echelon as well, right? Brooklyn's a big question mark. So let's just leave Brooklyn out of the rankings right now. Let's just rank mm-hmm. the, these teams without Brooklyn because we have to see what Brooklyn looks like. Once you get past those three teams, right, I do think you have to give the nod to Miami because of the coaching. But if you ignore okay. the coaching for a second, because – Obviously, Eric Spolstra is much better of a coach than J.B. Beckerstaff. J.B. Beckerstaff mm-hmm. isn't a bad coach at all. Mm-hmm. J.B. Beckerstaff is a really good coach. I love J.B. Beckerstaff. When you look at this roster, specifically the backcourt of Darius Garland and uh, Donald Mitchell, ignoring the West Coast for a second, how many backcourts in the East are better than, than Darius Garland and Donald Mitchell? Me, personally, I can hmm. only name... Two. What would those I, two be? I I, I I I think that James Harden and Tyrese Maxey is a better backcourt because okay. of uh because James Harden is like the kind of the grizzled vet. You got the young guy. Uh Tyrese Maxey is a little bit better defensively than James Harden is. They're both really good passers. Obviously, James Harden is still an elite scorer at this point in the game, and Tyrese Maxey is getting to that point where he can kind of match James for those for that 20, 25 a night. Potentially, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that James Harden and Tyrese Max are one of the better backcourts in, in the Eastern Conference. I also think that the Boston Celtics would have an elite backcourt as well, right? Marcus Smart isn't that prolific offensively, but he mm-hmm. did win Defensive Player of the Year last year for a reason. Whether you agree Correct. with whether, whether or not he should have been the guy to win it or not, he was a really good defensive player, right? Um he, and he can still he, he can still hold his own offensively. Of course, we're talking about a guy in Jalen Brown who can really give you 50 if he really wants to any day of the week, right? Once you get past those two backcourts for me, I would put Darius Garland and Donald Mitchell third. Not including the I, Nets, obviously, no, because I, think I don't he, know what's no. going on with Ben Simmons. 
Uh-huh. I specifically, when we're talking about the newly formed backcourts, I every day and twice on Sunday am taking Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell over Dejounte Murray and Trey Young. Absolutely, Hands I agree down. with that. 100%. I agree with that. And and it's and it's for a couple reasons. Number one, it's because when I look at Darius Garland, I look at a guy who last season he averaged what twenty five three and nine last season. Uh-huh. Um, so he averaged twenty five points, gave you nine assists last season. Spider gave you twenty five and six last season. Now you have a situation where Darius Garland doesn't have to be that guy, right? Thank what's you. most important is what's most important for yes. the Cavaliers is mm-hmm. this isn't just any this isn't just any young star, right? right. This isn't a Dejounte Murray, and there's this is no shot at Dejounte Murray. But let's be serious here. This is a, when we talk about young basketball teams. The one thing we always talk about is, yeah, they can make it to the playoffs, but do they have the experience? Donovan Mitchell is responsible for some of the best Utah Jazz playoff performances in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. We just we watched him in the bubble a couple years ago go toe to toe with Jamal Murray in that seven game series that kicked off the playoffs in the bubble. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Don Mitchell this past season played phenomenal basketball. When you mm-hmm. look at what what the Utah Jazz had with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and you look at what the and the Cleveland Cavaliers have with Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, this is hands down a much better tandem. It's, it's a trio, but that combination is so much better because yes. Jared Allen. Is the is the is the dirty work guy, right? He's gonna mm-hmm. get those boards. He's gonna play that defense. Evan Mobley is a dirty work guy too, but Evan Mobley can also score the basketball. Yeah, he has much more offensive down, upside. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have two guys down low that can rebound, that can block. You got a guy in Evan Mobley that can get you buckets, and he doesn't do it consistently, but Evan Mobley can stretch the floor. I wouldn't say he's a stretch mm-hmm. forward, but he can shoot the three. And he and I we agree. have seen him we saw him shoot the three last season. This is a team, their one weak spot. The one weak spot on this Cleveland Cavaliers team is Isaac Okoro. And I was talking about this yeah. last night on live when I made an announcement with my guy Peyton Doyle. Um, this, this, I'm not ready to say that the Cavaliers are contenders yet because I do think that they are still a piece away, that being that three. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we didn't really think the Cavs were going to be in the running because, like you said, when, they, when, we, when we saw that DG and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen were off the table, like, well, there's no way Donovan Mitchell ends up in Cleveland. Exactly. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, because hindsight is twenty twenty, if Cleveland could have pulled in another team to get that three situated, or more specifically, mm. if Cleveland could have gotten Bogdan or could have got Bogdanovich as well without having to give up those three guys, I would absolutely look at the Cleveland Cavaliers and say this is a team that can contend. Their window is open. They have reopened the window. They reopened Definitely. the window for their for the champion for that championship window. It's not, I don't think they're gonna compete. I do think that we could see them in a situation. I said that I think their ceiling is in the second round. I, I this is absolutely a, a team that makes out of the first round for sure. Mm-hmm. I think this is a team that if the matchup is favorable, could get them out of the second round as well and into the Eastern Conference Finals. A lot of that has to do with you have a guy in Donovan Mitchell who's been in clutch situations, right? We've seen him in crunch time in playoff games. We've seen him play in in, in game seven and rise to the occasion, something that not a lot of young guys do in the playoffs, and he's done it consistently. That is perfect for this team. And here's the thing. They're still young because Donovan Mitchell, like you said, turns 26 next week. So this is still a young basketball team. It's still a young basketball team. And because of the way that the contracts work out, hopefully if they all work out the way that they can, you can still have Darius Garland, you can still have Evan Mobley on this roster for an extended period of time. And one thing that goes under the radar that I don't think a lot of people want to recognize, Kevin Love, who two years ago didn't want to be in Cleveland and was trying to get a buyout. Six Kevin Love year last season last year. was second in mm-hmm. six-man of the year candidate. He was mm-hmm. second in Smody last year. So the bench is there. The one issue, though, is Isaac Okoro being the starting three. I don't know. Maybe 
maybe I'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe Cleveland can pull off something to kind of get that situated. But if, it, if we have to wait until next year's free agency period, this is still a team that absolutely is a lot for the playoffs. This is a team that has four, that is three all-star caliber players and Jared Allen. No disrespect to Jared Allen, but Jared Allen made the all-star game as a reserve. But he is still super talented. And he is still super talented. And I think Jared Allen, I think, is going to be able to thrive in a role where he can just play defense. He can yeah. still give you 15 and 10, but he's going to be able to thrive in a role where he can just play defense because now you have a guy in Spider who can take off a lot of that offensive load as well. So he's going to be the number one option. DG's going to be number two. Of course, Evan Mobley's going to be number three. Of course, you want to get as many points as possible. And if Jared Allen can contribute 20 points one night, you're not going to turn that away. But if he can focus a lot more on just rim protecting and rebounding and being the blocking and doing all that stuff, that bodes really well because then that also means that that's less pressure on Evan Mobley to do those things, which means Evan Mobley can hone his offensive craft a lot more. And he's got the length to mm -hmm. be a really solid big in the league. Uh, uh, if, if he can keep, I, I I love this for the Cavs. I saw ESPN graded at a C. ESPN bunch of idiots. This is an A plus in my estimation. But like I said, the one issue with the Cavs going into this season is Isaiah Okoro being the starting small forward. Aside from that, though, perfect. This is perfect. I the, the Cavs are going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch in the Eastern Conference. So I want to build off a bunch of the points that you made. The first one being the backcourt point. See, like, Marcus, this is actually why I, I like the idea of trying to talk this through because I think that that's a great point in its own sense. If we're talking about just competing in the Eastern Conference, some of the teams that you're going to be talking about in terms of just backcourt talent, I think you can make a legitimate argument that they are either number two or number three when you go through. If you look at Miami, it's Max Struess and Kyle Lowry. Max Struess was pretty solid last season, but – Kyle Lowry was also a guy who was in and out of the lineup and a guy who is on the upper end of his career. When you look at Boston, you mentioned the fact that Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown obviously are who they are, and they both are contrasting in terms of their styles. Marcus Smart is more defensive, more of a 3 and D guy who tries to play a little bit off the dribble, but isn't super successful at it. But he is very good at what he does excel at. While you have Jalen Brown, who, like you said, is capable of going for 50, if possible. If you look at Milwaukee, they have Drew Holiday at the at the one, but they have Grayson Allen at the two. So that significantly tanks their grade down. I think Philly, you make an interesting point when you talk about James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. I think James Harden kind of carries that duo as of sure. right now. But I think that Tyrese sure. Maxey showed significant strides last season that makes you wonder just how talented that team can be from a from just in the backcourt if James Harden is right and he is committed for an entire season. Toronto has Fred Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. No offense to either one of those guys. I'm actually a very big Fred Van Vliet believer, and I think Gary Trent Jr. has turned his career around by making the transition from Portland. But when come I don't think that the, I don't think either one of those players actually individually is better than either one of Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell. Chicago, I am a Chicago Bulls fan through and through, but Lonzo Ball's injury definitely gives me cause to pause, and Zach Levine is my guy, but if even with those two guys are healthy, I still think that from a combination standpoint, these two and Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are better. I would say that Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine's skill sets complement each other better. But I would say that if we are talking about simply talent from a talent perspective, I still think that Cleveland's backcourt carries. Brooklyn, I think, is an interesting one, too, because I think even let's say we do count them because you said let's move them to the side because of the fact that we don't know what's up with them. I think even if you do count them, it's Kyrie and who? Is it Kyrie and Seth Curry? Is it Kyrie and, uh, and, and Joe Harris? I think you would Harris? count that as Kyrie and Ben Simmons unless, if they it's move ben so, Simmons to the, unless they move Ben Simmons to the four. 
And I think that's a good question. Plays the, yeah. So that, that's, that's why I said let's move him to the side because it's a question. Mm-hmm. Remember, when James Harden was there, James Harden was the point and Kyrie said, I'll be the Kyrie point. was the two, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. If they keep that same mindset and Kyrie is the two and Ben Simmons is the one, is the then one? I would look at that and I would say that maybe that backcourt could be a bit better. My one concern mm-hmm. was Ben Simmons offensively isn't can't hold a candle offensively to Darius Garland or Donald Right. Mitchell. And but that's I what I still think. say from a defensive standpoint, def- mm-hmm. Ben Simmons by himself, is Definitely. better defensively than Darius Garland either one and, of them. than Donovan Mitchell, both individually and collectively. Right. That, I think, could be third. But even still, this is still a top five backcourt. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah, I think that they I think they have a legitimate case for I think they have a legitimate case for top three. Cause I agree with you. I take them over Atlanta. I take them over Charlotte. And of course, any of the other teams in the bottom right now are not established enough in terms of their backcourt to really know. Um I think they're at least top three in the East. And of course, if you include the West, that's where things get a little interesting, like you mentioned beforehand. But I still think that this is a top six backcourt in the NBA from a talent perspective, if we actually kind of like thoroughly went through. Of course, the West is a little bit trickier because those teams, there's a lot more versatility there. There's certain guys that are just extremely talented at the guard position. When you talk about Devin Booker, Chris Paul, John Morant, uh, I, I mean, you could just go down the list of guys. They, Damian Lillard still is out here with Anthony Simons in Portland. There's a lot of interesting backcourts in the Western Conference that definitely think make make things interest, interesting and kind of scary when you measure Cleveland up against them. But I actually think, in retrospect, Cleveland is still a top six backcourt in all of MB, all of the NBA going into next year. And that's setting a pretty high, high bar for a team that just two seasons ago, we were kind of wondering what exact direction this team was going to take and here we are a season and a half later and this is a team that as you mentioned beforehand arguably could be a top four top five team in the eastern conference by the end of next season this could be a team that legitimately is fighting for a home court advantage by the end of next year and here's um, the thing too so yeah just i mean on, on that defensive point right you look at obviously uh Obviously, um, Dejounte Murray led the league last season in steals per game. He had two per game. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell had a steal and a half per game. Darius Garland had one point three per game. So, 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 though the the perimeter defense is there, I think also the thing again when you look at it from a scoring perspective, right? And you talk about like like I said from the, from the shooting aspect of things, which is which is another thing. Donovan Mitchell is not a three point shooter, but he shot thirty six percent from three. If we round up thirty six percent from three. Last mm-hmm. season, Darius Garland shot 38% from three. This, on high this, this volume. Is a team on high volume. On, on high volume. Because yeah. Darius Garland, Darius Garland was taking, let's see, Darius Garland was taking seven about seven three-point shots a game. Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell was taking 10 three-point shots a game. What's likely going to happen is we're going to see probably a decrease in that number for Donovan Mitchell and increase in that number for Darius Garland. Darius Garland's assist numbers is gonna go up. This might be a stretch. Don't be surprised if Darius Garland leads league leads the league in assists next season. Mm, I agree because I think Darius Garland is not going to have to score that much. He still look last season he averaged twenty one point seven points per game or twenty point seven points per game. He's still going to that number still going to increase. It's been increasing since he's been in the league. When his rookie season he averaged twelve. Two years ago he averaged seventeen. This past season he averaged twenty. That's going to go up. That number could creep up toward twenty five this season, but it won't have to because Donovan Mitchell is there. His assist number, I think, I think could 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 go up considerably. Last season, mm-hmm. he finished with 583 total assists, um, and that was, I think, on average, like I said, like eight or nine assists a game. Um, 
that number could go up. And and we could be talking about a situation where Darius Garland, who already was top four last season in assists at 8.6 behind DeJounte, who averaged nine, James Harden averaged 10, and Chris Paul averaged about 11. Darius Garland's going to lead the league in assists next season, I think, because there's going to be less pressure on him to shoot the ball. He's got another mm-hmm. guy in Donovan Mitchell he can pass to. Of course, Evan Mobley's going to get better, which means his efficiency is going to go up. And I, I do think that, you know, Jared Allen here and there is going to get his shots as well. This is beautiful. This is absolutely perfect for 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 the, the Cavs. Like I said, the one ugh, for me is Isaiah yeah. Okoro. It's got to be that three position. Yeah, it's got to be that three position because, I mean, there were stretches last season where Laurie Markkinen was starting for them at the three, and they were the ju- they were calling it the jumbo lineup, right, with Isaac uh, with Isaac being coming off the bench and it being Laurie, Evan, and Jared all in the front court, which was bizarre to see but actually oddly effective. But, Marcus, something else that we're almost to the end of this, but one of the other things that I want to address is something that I think we've implied a lot but we haven't actually directly spoken on, which is the sense that this team could not create offense outside of Darius Garland last year. Yeah. And they addressed that easily just with the mere presence of acquiring donovan mitchell this is a secondary ball handler is a secondary shot creator he's a guy who creates further spacing for guys like evan mobley who can like you mentioned beforehand shoot the ball and kind of take guys off the dribble on the wing a little bit as well it creates so much more offensive opportunity by having another legitimate perimeter threat. If you remember last season, they acquired Karis Levert with this in mind. Mind you, I do not believe that Karis Levert was a real torch bearer for that as the second best offensive creator on this team in terms of them wanting to make legitimate noise as a playoff contender. I don't think that Karis Levert is that. I think that he actually now is bumped down to his ideal role by having Donovan Mitchell on this team is coming off the bench as a six-man microwave scorer next to guys like either Raul Neto or next to a guy like, I mean, next to somebody in the point guard position like, uh, you know, Ricky Rubio who can facilitate for him and you could just sell Karras. back was massive. Because I massive. Think, I think I, the Cavs would have been in a much better position in their playoff game if Ricky Rubio wasn't was hurt. Wasn't injured, he's yeah. fantastic. And let me just say, this just came to my mind. I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think this is going to happen. If okay. this does happen, this could be game-changing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because we talked about him earlier, and he's still a free agent. If he plays the three. Mello. If. Amen. The Cavaliers could bring in yeah. Carmelo, which I don't know if they would, right? Because at this point, I think Carmelo is just, you know, you know. If mm-hmm. they could sign Mello to a contract and convince Mello to come in, that could be interesting. He wouldn't be there for long, yeah. obviously. But if they could bring him in at least for this season just to hold them over and see mm-hmm. what it could look like if they have a reliable guy, that would be massive. I don't really know who else is left on the free agency market that could maybe make a difference for a longer period of time. Maybe mm. they go – I'd say they go fishing for that guy in the draft, but the Jazz hold their future in their hands now, which, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you have Donovan Mitchell have my future, I don't need it. I've got I got, I got, got a team that could potentially be competing for a championship. Um, yeah. this, but this is a team th- – this is a team that – could do really good things. Uh, I'm actually going to look up the class for next, the free agency class for next year, just to see who's going to be available. Um, some of these guys are probably not going to be having, like, yeah, they're they're not going to be getting Chris Middleton, obviously. Um, they're 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 not going to be getting a lot of these guys that are out here. But I look at it and I say, we're talking about look, Bogdanovich becomes a free agent next season. If the, if the Utah Jazz let him go, bring him in. I, I think you you definitely bring him in. Um, or try to anyway. They got to get somebody that can play that three and can be much more reliable. 
Mm. Bring Jay Crowder back. Shoot. Mm. That could be that, that, yeah. that could be the difference. It's they'd more three point until, shooting. Yeah. Yeah. They they'd have to wait until next season, of course, unless they can make a trade for him. But just kind of looking through the list of potential free agents, um, there's not a lot here. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is going to be restricted, so it'll be hard to kind of get him out of there. Maybe you bring in Joe Ingles. There's a lot of options. Mm. Um, there are a lot of potential options that they can look at exploring in next year's free agency class um, as it pertains to bringing in someone to fill that role. But for right now, though, this is still a really good jumping. You know what? Go get Cam Reddish because the Knicks don't need him. The Knicks don't need him. Go get Cam Reddish. Trade for Cam Reddish. And, and, and we got ourselves a deal because the Knicks don't know how to use Cam Reddish. And I don't want to – I'm a big fan of Cam Reddish. And I don't want to see Cam Same. Reddish – I done knocked my light over. I don't want to see Cam Reddish <laughs> rot in a New York Knicks uniform because the Knicks are incompetent and they suck and they're stupid. Bring in Cam Reddish to Cleveland and, and let's see the Cavs make it back to the finals in the next six years. Let's make it happen. That's the last I have to say because now I'm about to get my blood pressure up again because I'm talking about the Knicks. But, yeah, <laughs> no, go get I, Cam Reddish. Go rescue Cam Reddish from I the like New York that. Knicks. The New York like Knickerbockers, get him out of New York, bring him to Cleveland. Oh, that's crazy. Dang. Gallinari, Gallinari tore his ACL. Yeah. That is not good. That is going to be, that's definitely going to have to be a discussion for a different podcast in terms of the, yeah. the, the fate of the, the, uh, the Boston Celtics. I don't think it's going to impact them too, too much, but I think, because I don't think he's going to be super serviceable come playoff time, but he was a guy that was going to be really solid for them rotationally for the regular season. But my last point on Cleveland is simply this. I think that they are designed very well for a very good long-term future. Everybody that we've discussed for the most part in terms of their top four is locked up long-term. If you include other guys like Karis LeVert as well, they also are on a long-term or longer-term contract. Kevin Love is a guy who, like you mentioned beforehand, six-man-of-the-year candidate last year and if we want to get frisky, he is a movable contract as an expiring guy. So if you want to use that as a way to be able to acquire that three man, that is something that is possible. That's not to say that you should go about doing that because I do think Kevin Love is serviceable for the role that he fits on this team. And but you gotta keep that you, veteran. You gotta keep that veteran championship voice in there with Kevin. Right. Love. So I feel as though he should not be a guy who is trade chipped. But if if the three spot is as glaring as and as concerning to them as it is to maybe some of us in terms of just how glaring of a hole it is in that starting lineup that is a that is a means to being able to go about acquiring that three man so i think that's imp- i think that's important too and kind of my last thing is just like I think that this team is going to be really good for a really long time because they have legitimate building blocks. All these guys have not reached their prime yet, and all these guys are locked up, locked up in a way where they are going to be on a similar timeline. And that that is what breeds positive trajectory as a team that's not only a perennial playoff team but a potential contender on any given season. I think that Cleveland can finish with top uh, top four potential next season in the Eastern Conference as a team that might be able to hold a home court advantage spot. I think Cleveland's going to be really good. But Marcus, with that being the case, man, this is the part in the podcast where I pass the baton over to you to be able to plug a lot of your stuff. I know you mentioned the live stream on Instagram the other day as one of the things that you're kind of experimenting with, but this is your chance to also plug the podcast and anything else that you're doing. When is this being posted? Just find Today. Out before I, today. <laughs> I just want to know before I start ranting. I don't want to rant on stuff and then it's passed. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you guys know, so can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, on, on TikTok. Uh, at GTP Marcus. For all you OGs out there that don't know what a TikTok or Instagram or Twitter is, you can find me on Facebook. Just search up my name or search up the name of the show. Go talk to Marcus and you'll find it. Um, major announcement was made last night on Instagram Live, and I will post about that uh, 
in short order. So make sure you guys are following on Instagram so that you guys can see that and on Twitter and on TikTok. I'm going to post everywhere, of course. Um, so you guys can see that and see what that major announcement is. But it's going to be a busy week for me. Uh, the next seven days are going to be stacked. I have Clash of the Castle is on t- is tomorrow. So I have, I'm going to do a preview show of that for that. Uh, the first WWE event, the first WWE stadium show in over 30 years, Clash of the Castle is tomorrow. I'm going to go live for that to preview that before the card. Sunday, I have an NFL show. Um, to talk about players and coaches that are under the most pressure. Monday, I have another NFL show um, ranking the top five offenses and defenses heading into the heading into the season. Uh, Wednesday, I have another NFL show that's dropping uh, where we I rank uh, Super Bowl contenders and dark horses. Thursday is going to be episode 200. We're going to go live for one last final NFL preview and also 200 episodes. We're going to preview, uh, predict playoff pictures and, and go around and uh, predict awards. And then next Friday... I'm going to drop my own basketball episode kind of talking about all this stuff that I kind of talked about here, but also a little bit extra stuff. So the next seven days um, are stacked. So just just follow so you don't miss any of this stuff. And I'm on Spotify and Instagram <laughs> and Spotify and I have a podcast and iHeartRadio and YouTube and all that great stuff. But follow the socials. That's what's important. Yeah, definitely sounds like he's got a jam-packed week coming up in terms of content. So if you're looking for something in terms of the sports world to be able to listen to, get tuned into, it's time. I think it's a good time to get hip to Marcus. Very animated dude that has a lot of great content coming up. Definitely focuses on more than basketball, as you mentioned, the WWE and NFL as well. So I think it's a, I think it's really a good listen. He's a guy that I've been listening to for a couple of weeks or months now. Um, and he knows his stuff, and he's very versatile with it. So definitely give him a chance. With that being the case... Really appreciate you guys for sticking around and listening to the content. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Share with all your friends. Know that this content is coming out every single week, talking about some of the bigger and better things in basketball, but also talking about every single team and how they are going to be interesting going into next season. With that being the case, until next time, peace.